All right, everybody, welcome to the Quick Past. My name is Jim Jansen, and I am your host, and we got a great meditation for you today. It's a meditation conversation. Archbishop Lucas joins us today as we reflect a little bit about the Easter season. So happy Easter, everybody. Uh, You're going to love this conversation. In it, the Archbishop talks about the need to make sure that Jesus is number one. Like, what are we really doing when we're reciting our our baptismal promises? Uh, You get to hear a confession of the archbishop, how his his understanding of what it means uh, to be a bishop uh, has changed in his time as the Archbishop Omaha. He talks about how to keep our hope and how to let Easter be a place of hope for us. And above all, he invites everyone to ask for the grace of Easter, that Jesus' resurrected life and his desire to console us would be a gift that we can seek. You're going to love today's conversation. Happy Easter, everybody. Take a listen. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Archbishop Lucas. Welcome to the EquipCast. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be with you. So, Archbishop, you know how this how this goes. We always like to begin, uh, give our guests an opportunity to share a little bit about their faith story. Uh, of course, you're not new to the EquipCast. So I want to ask you, tell us a little bit about your faith journey, specifically as the Archbishop of Omaha. Thanks. It's a beautiful chapter of my life and my ministry. It's not over, but I'm grateful to God for uh, for this opportunity. There have been a, many chances for me to grow in my faith during my time here, so I'm grateful to you and many others that, that I have the privilege of working with that have helped to make that possible and, and many people around, around the Archdiocese. I served as bishop in Springfield, Illinois before I came here, and I, I would say gratefully to, to the people there and to that local church that that's where I learned how to be a bishop, and there isn't an instruction manual. And in the days when I became a bishop, they didn't have a, a new bishop school like they do now, mm-hmm. or whatever that's worth. But uh, so it was on the job training. I had worked for the Archbishop in St. Louis when I was a younger priest. But I, I think the thing that's that I would say has marked my time here in terms of my own journey of faith is a, a richer understanding of the possibilities for pastoral life and particularly for pastoral renewal. Mm. So I was challenged after I was here for a few years to articulate a vision for the Archdiocese, and I didn't want to try to do that by myself. So many will recall we prayed about that. We had a series of listening sessions and heard from many, many people more than we had expected, which was a blessing. Mm-hmm. And then brought a group together, r- roughly representing the church across the archdiocese to look at all the input we had received and pray about that, pray over how the church expresses her own understanding of herself since the New Testament and articulated our, our vision. And then the, the challenge, of course, was to think, well, okay, how are we going to move in that direction? And yes. what's the Lord offering us that, that will, will make that possible? You know, I have to confess, I knew better, but at the beginning of my time as, as a bishop, the thought creeps in that my main responsibility was how to manage things that were already set up. Mm. And, and what was set up was good. And parishes, schools, uh, different apostolates, I felt that, you know, that it was important to orchestrate that, you know, and yeah. be present, be, you know, challenge people appropriately, but mainly to keep the gears meshed and, and things things moving. I understand that in, better than what I'm expressing, you know, with a richer sense of, of the life of the church and the presence of, of the Lord. But the, the time here has been a real, it's been marked for me by an opportunity to look at that all again and to really focus always on the the activity of the Lord, but at the same time, look at the fruitfulness of what we're doing and examine together whether we could be, uh, are called to redirect our efforts perhaps and work in some new ways for the benefit of God's people, the ones who are already enjoying life in mm-hmm. Christ in the church and, and then others to whom we're sent. That's a fascinating, I appreciate your 
you're saying that because you, first off, right, thank you to the people of Springfield, good people <laughs> who did the on-the-job training uh, for our archbishop. But I hear you saying, like, not to put words in your mouth, but your understanding about what your responsibility was and what it meant to be an archbishop has changed and, and grown, you know, uh, as the faithful kind of imagine what it means to be an archbishop. There are a lot of, you know, public moments where you get to lead us in worship, where you get to serve as, as a teacher. What's something that people maybe don't recognize or that that we've maybe forgotten about what an archbishop does uh, and how, how you serve? The archbishop is the pastor of, of the archdiocese sent by the Holy Father, who is the vicar of Christ. So I have a clear sense of, of a mission that comes from the Lord himself that's animated by the Holy Spirit to the extent that I can be open to the promptings of, of the Spirit. The Second Vatican Council has referred to the church as a pilgrim people. Mm. And more and more, I've begun to appreciate that, that we're on a pilgrimage and that part of my responsibility along with, with others, particularly working with the priests, is to provide the spiritual sustenance that keeps us going along the way that the Lord himself uh, provides. At the same time, to urge us forward, <laughs> to, to, mm -hmm. you know, that we keep moving, that, that we not settle for, for where we are or be in some way defensive or afraid about moving moving ahead. It has taken me a little while to grow into that. I never saw myself as a, as a particularly effective change agent, you know, and or somebody who, t who would take a, a radical approach to our, our having to do things differently. I don't think I'm at all a radical, <laughs> but I do... Um, have a clear sense that the Lord desires change in us. He loves us as we are, yeah. but he has more in mind for us in terms of our own relationship with him, our own self-understanding, and how we are involved in the, in the mission of the church, each of us in our own way. Mm -hmm. You know, I appreciate your saying that. It reminds me of some personal conversations we've had in that as we look out on the church in the United States and we see so many dioceses, so many bishops, so many individual churches kind of heading out on this mission, kind of rediscovering the call to evangelize, the new evangelization. We're learning, right, from, from our peers, often inspired by their example. But I think we reflected that your particular style is what the Lord has in mind for Omaha, that you're leading us on the, the journey and the pilgrimage. It's just right for, for where we need, we need to be. I love that metaphor, right, of, of a journey. If we're honest, it's been a pretty intense couple years, uh, right? For, for many of us, there's been, I think, an experience of the pandemic, of all of the tensions and stress that people have experienced from that. There's a lot of Easter and Lenten themes uh, hiding in there. As you've gone through this season of Lent and Easter again, but what messages are are sticking out to you? The church invites us into the participation in, in Lent every year. I think because we need it, we need to be reminded again of the of the reality of our own experience and the reality of God's plan for us. We look again at our sin and, and weakness, at the brokenness that we experience around us. Some of it's our own doing, but often it's the effect of, of original sin yeah. writ large in, in the world. Certainly, the brutality that's been visited on the people of Ukraine is a is an example of the terrible effects of. Yeah. Of human sinfulness. So we look at that again. We do it with confidence because we know that the plan of God doesn't end mm -hmm. with a focus on, on our sin and a kind of reckoning with divine justice of giving us what we deserve for our own sins and for, for the mess that uh, we find ourselves in because we have celebrated year by year the, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ at, at the end of the season of Lent. So it's a, the Lent season and Ash Wednesday and early in the season of Lent this year just invited us to recall our baptismal identity 
recall that that we're have been chosen by God as his daughters and sons and that's the primary reality about us yeah. uh, the other things are also true but the truest thing is that our heavenly father our loving God has chosen us and by choosing us has given us a place in, in the household of faith mm-hmm. given us the inheritance of eternal life and it's not an empty promise on God's part or a mm-hmm. vain hope for, for us but it's affected in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, those beautiful saving events that we have just celebrated. Mm. Archbishop, I love that word chosen, right? You know, the the Lord has chosen us. A number of years ago, I was noticing the commissioning that the Lord gives in his choosing, his calling, right? When he says, come follow me, and then there's a commission that comes with it, and I will make you fishers of men. I want to give you a chance to speak as a pastor. What's he saying to the people in the Archdiocese of Omaha that he's chosen. As uh, we see with our ancestors in the scriptures, whenever someone is chosen by God, it's chosen for a reason, and Mm. the one who's chosen is given a mission. So the the choosing is good for the person, him or herself. Then we ask, okay, why? Why has God chosen me? Well, first, out of his, in his infinite love, loves me, period. I don't have to prove myself. But now that I've experienced this love. And for us in the church, we've experienced it in the call, the personal call of our Savior, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. We're invited to participate in, in his saving mission. So I, w- I would hope that all of us in, in the Archdiocese would be able to see this year in a more personal way that the Paschal mystery of Jesus, his dying and rising, is something that we participate in. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make it too trivial, but you know, it's it, it's for us, not yeah. just for us, but it is for us. And it, it's for us in a very personal way, not a, not a general way. Well, you know, Jesus rose from the dead and that light shines on everybody. Well, it does but it's shining on you and and me because God has his eye on us and wants the power of his love in in Jesus Christ, that redeeming love to to be effective in us and and through us for the world. Archbishop, you you talk about like there's something very personal about the resurrection. People are listening, right? We're like, I know, but it doesn't feel that way. People who who know that the Lord loves them personally, that he's called them, that his resurrection was for them. They're not feeling the the vibrancy. They're they're not feeling fruitful. Uh, it seems pretty far away from their own experience right now. What would you say to them? I would say ask for it. Ask for mm-hmm. the experience. Ask for the the assurance of it because I'm convinced that's what the Lord wants us to know. Yeah. And so we know it in a lot of different ways. And so on some days, the experience, the feeling isn't there. Some days it might be. But if, but for anyone who maybe hasn't been able to experience this so personally, mm-hmm. I would say that's a great place to start in prayer. Lord, what does this what does this mean for me? What what do you have in mind for me? Again, we don't want to make things over personal. That it's just it's just me and Jesus, or this is you know my Jesus is giving me some some experience only for, for my benefit. We won't give our lives to it to the belief that we are saved, and then and also to the belief that we're part of a mission. If we don't know it somehow in our yeah. bones in our spirit, that's not it's not out of the question to ask that that could be possible for us. So how the Lord will share that with us, how He will offer that personal assurance to us is up to him. It doesn't necessarily come the instant we ask for it, but by continuing to ask, we create an openness in ourselves, yeah. open our hearts to, to receive what he wants for us. We can be encouraged, you know, by his post-resurrection appearances to his apostles and yeah. and other disciples who knew him personally and had a very personal experience in their hearts of, of what his dying was like, uh, the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think had a very personal experience of their own failure to return to him the love that, that he had shown to them. And a part at least of, of his time spent with apostles and disciples after the resurrection was to, to reassure them yeah. that he is al- alive and that, that it means something for them and it doesn't mean punishment. Yeah. It means forgiveness, peace, life. The, so those gifts that the risen Jesus shared with, with his first disciples, he, he 
means to share with us. Thank you. I love that. As you're speaking, I'm drawn back right to the words, teachings, I guess, of, of St. Ignatius of Loyola, where, you know, if any of our listeners have done the, the spiritual exercises, Ignatius has you near the end of this retreat, really meditating on the resurrection. And one of the things he says is that the ministry of Jesus in his resurrected body is all about consolation. And with that lens, you can start to see Jesus just keeps, you know, he just whoop, kind of shows up and he, and he comes to bring consolation, to encourage, to remind my own desires to see the, our, the church kind of rediscover its missionary identity and for you know, uh, evangelization to take root as a habit. You don't see that happen any more fruitfully in the New Testament than the places where Jesus comes and appears and encourages, where the Spirit comes. I mean, you think about like the road to Emmaus. There's these discouraged disciples and Jesus goes out of his way to catch up with them and encourage them, their response is they end up running back uh, in, into mission because they have something to share. Archbishop, maybe we can talk a little bit. I, the metaphor you know, that Paul gives where Jesus is the head and the church is the body. I think it's one thing for us to embrace the truth that Jesus is alive. Sometimes it feels like that's a little far away from our experience, right? It's like, okay, well, Jesus is alive and I believe that, but I don't feel like we're alive, right? Like, like his, his body. And there's a mystery there. He's fully experienced what we believe is coming for us. How do we understand that resurrected life, how it can affect us as a community, right? As the body of Christ. Uh, it affects us in hope. Hmm. Hope is a gift that's given to us at baptism. So when we're incorporated in, into the body, we are given the gifts of faith, hope, hope and love. They're theological virtues, we call them. So they're really a sharing in God's life, not virtue in the sort of the acquired virtue, you know, that, that we do as we practice and, and grow in our faith. The hope is meant to keep us looking forward with confidence hmm. in the inheritance that is marked out for us uh, in God's plan. It's, it's announced or made clear at baptism that this is God's plan for us yeah. and we're on the way to achieve that fully to the extent that we stay on the path, that we accept mm. the plan of God. And at the same time, our life in the church is meant to give us a taste of it already. Yeah. We wait in joyful hope, but we're not only waiting, mm -hmm. we're also experiencing now. It's very explicit in the sacraments of the church, but the Lord means us to experience it in our relationship with each other in our personal prayer. He tells us explicitly that we'll in encounter him. And by him, we mean the risen Jesus. That's yeah. who he is. We encounter the risen Jesus as we encounter the poor. Mm -hmm. When we look to our brothers and sisters respectfully to, to them and mm -hmm. in their need, the Lord reveals him himself to us there. And wherever he is, that risen life is. And it radiates and it rubs off. You might say we, we do taste it and, and experience it. Mm -hmm. So there's this present reality in the church. We might say it's the reason why the Lord established the church. So that right now in our present circumstances, whether they're happy ones or difficult ones, challenging, whatever it might be, we have the opportunity to encounter the risen Lord. We not only know about him, but we, we get to know him. And in that relationship, individually, but in the context of the church, we begin already to experience his risen life. Gosh, I love that. Right? He's redirecting our eyes. As we look at him, we have hope of what's coming. But it's not just a looking forward. There's a little taste right now. I mean, little appetizers all the way on the journey. And sometimes big ones. Yeah. Again, you know, we, we talk about the Eucharistic feast. It, the physical experience, you know, is not the same thing as a big sumptuous meal, mm -hmm. you know, as we experience that physically. But, the, but as we pray and reflect on on what we're experiencing and we're assisted with, with music and with architecture and with the presence and prayerfulness of, of our brothers and sisters, it's a rich experience. Yeah. It's a feast. We can miss the richness of it, you know, if we wander in and really aren't paying attention, but, you know, it's there for the taking. But how can we receive this Easter message more 
fully first individually, and then let's let's talk about communally. Individually, how do we receive it? If you were to just as a pastor, give just a little practical advice. How do you recommend that we receive? these graces being offered? I think I can ask myself the question, do I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God risen from the dead? We're all invited to do that at, at Easter to renew our profession of faith. Mm -hmm. It's first made at baptism. We make it many other times through the year, our, our whole life long, but it's, it's particularly appropriate at this moment and in the, the days and weeks following the Feast of, of Easter. So that, that's not a small thing. St. Paul tells mm -hmm. us if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. So if our faith is going to mean anything, it hangs on this truth. Yeah. So it's important for me to say, I do believe this. Uh, sometimes my faith is weak. Sometimes I struggle to believe it. Perhaps we're all in different places on, on mm -hmm. our journey of faith. But to say it and, and embrace it in faith, that's that's the start. And what that means then is, uh, as I've said, is Jesus is alive. And if he's alive, then we can encounter him because he has provided this means for us to encounter him in, in our life in, in the church. It's not my imagination. Yeah. It's a real encounter with a living person. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, truly our brother, at the same time, our, our risen Savior, our, our Redeemer. Yeah. I mean, we're supposed to expect it. Right. And to know that he wants it. So we don't have to coax him into a relationship with us. We don't have to earn it. Jesus wants that more than we do. And if we first say, I believe in you as, as my Savior and Redeemer, that we sort of take that for granted maybe in our Catholic faith, but it's important for each of us to make that ascent in faith and to and to do it again again and again. It has a power because we're saying it's not just, I, I believe, but I'm accepting the truth of this great gift of God for us in, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Then we can, Jesus is alive and I, I accept that that's true, then, then I can look for the opportunities to make myself available mm -hmm. to him who is always making himself available to me personally. I, I received this truth, though, in, in the context of the church. Again, it isn't just something that yeah. I dreamed up. You know, as you as you speak, I'm conscious. I don't know how many years ago now, maybe seven. But when you know, when we uh, the new translation for the mass came out, and there was this subtle change for the creed, where we stopped saying we believe. And we started saying, I believe. I hear that as you're speaking. There's this individual moment where I stand up and I say, I believe, but I don't say it alone. There's this chorus of there's this chorus of voices with me as I say, I believe. And there's something about my individual ascent as now part of this group is just this, yeah, very powerful experience. But when we have the eyes to see it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's we're not just being carried along by somebody else's faith. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Well, I mean, we're, we're carried along sometimes by the strength of other people's faith. Yes. And again, that's the beauty of the church. You know, yeah. on the days when I can't pray or I'm totally confused or lost or sick or even unconscious, mm -hmm. I'm still a member of the body of Christ and that the faith of the church, the pilgrimage is moving ahead and, I, and, and I'm still still part of it. But to the extent that I am making decisions and, and choices regularly, it's important for me to say, I, I believe. And, and we say it with a particular joy. And I would say power. At, uh, yeah. at Easter time. Archbishop, I, I imagine this image, right, of sometimes when Jesus comes to give gifts, sometimes my hands are full of other stuff. Gifts, perhaps, that you know, that he's given, but gifts that are maybe time for me to set down and let go and release because he has something new that he wants to hand to me. Is the Lord is offering us, again, right, every day, every season, uh, new gifts. Do you have any inklings of things that we might just need to release or set down in order to receive the gifts the Lord is offering us in this time, right? So we can't go back for, and have a do-over of Lent, but that's what I think we have been doing during the during the season of Lent if, if we've taken that seriously. But but we engage in practices during Lent, which which are really part of the Christian life all year long. So even the yeah. Lent's over in, a, in its particular rigor, we might say uh, some of what we we hope we've picked up in terms of, of practices, mm. but w w you know can can help us do just what you're saying. The idea of mortification 
is mm-hmm. really what you're describing. Yeah. So I put some things down that I'm holding on to for whatever reason, whether they give me pleasure or assurance or I'm stubborn or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> All the above. So that I'm not so burdened, so that my hands aren't so full, my life isn't so full, yeah. my head, my heart aren't so cluttered with things that don't save me. Mm-hmm. The hope is we create space so that Jesus can can come in with his personal presence, but also with the gifts that mm-hmm. desires us to have that will mean life for us, that aren't limiting. As you should describe it, some of the things that we hold on to really short circuit our focus mm-hmm. on eternal life, on our eternal inheritance. And we're not thinking about that every day, or at every moment, I should say. We should think about it every day. We're taken up with, with, with other things. But if those things become sort of the destination or the end, end point of, of who we are or, or where we're going effectively, then we need to put them down. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, it, it's worth examining our lives in, in that way as we do more intentionally during Lent all, all year long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to say now that we're in the Easter season that uh, let's just let's have a few more weeks of Lent. Because that's not the mind of right. the of the church, and it's not necessary. But you're you're right about saying we can't accept the the bounty of the resurrection and and all that it means if we're if we're still hanging on to the things that don't mm-hmm. save. It's interesting as you as you talk. I think I'm connecting Lent and Easter in a new way, in that there is because of the the disciplines that we do in Lent, there's a there's a personal and individual character to Lent. That's a, a little bit easier for me to recognize. This is my, you know, my vice that I'm trying to curb and my bad habit and my virtue that I'm trying to cultivate. And I think there's a tendency to imagine Easter as simply historical event that's being referenced. And then it's maybe a little impersonal, but just as though there is a personal character to the purification of Lent, there's also a personal character to the gifts the Lord wants to give me in the Easter season. I think you've probably known, but I'm I'm connecting in a new way just as a no, part of our conversation. What if we don't get ready for it, then we won't be able to receive right. it. Right. Yeah. You get, you know, my hands are still full. <laughs> the reason for Lent, you know, I don't know exactly how Lent started in the church. It's a combination of a variety of traditions. Started primarily, uh, we know, for those who were preparing for initiation right, at yeah. Easter. Because you can't just have Jesus on top of everything else. He's not just one person among so many others. The, the risen life that he offers us is not one gift among so many. It really mm. requires setting aside some other things and and making a primary place in our lives for for this relationship with the risen Lord. We say that and show it very beautifully in the yeah. ceremony of Christian initiation, especially at the Easter Vigil, we you know come out of darkness into light, turn away from sin, turn to, to embrace the gospel. It's a clear choice. Yeah. But we all backslide, even if unintentionally, we get the other things begin to creep in and take the place of, be considered on, on par with mm-hmm. the, this relationship with Jesus Christ. So we got to just clear all that up at least once once a year and be prepared once again to, to, for this unique experience of life in Christ. Archbishop, just as we, we close here, what would be kind of like some parting practical advice? For those who are listening and they're like, oh, yes, what Lent did, what Easter offers, I want that. Can you give just a little practical, like what's a first step uh, for those who are listening to say, okay, I want to receive that gift? We need to be practical about making a place for the risen Lord in our life, in our our day. So we have to, whether it's starting the day with prayer, Hmm. this acknowledgement that Jesus Hmm. is here with us and inviting him in. He doesn't break down the door. He stands at the door and knocks. We'd like to be let in. That's again, it's a very beautiful prayer to invite the risen Lord in and to ask him to enlighten, to animate the events of the day. He has a plan for our day. He has a plan mm-hmm. for how we can experience his presence and how we can share share that with others and can ask him in a practical way to re- reveal that to us. Yeah. But without turning to the Lord and, f- and 
intentionally focusing on him, on his risen presence with us in the church. I mean, it might dawn on us in other ways. The Holy Spirit <laughs> yeah. has a way of, of breaking in, thankfully. But many of us have been at this a while, you know, and so we we, we really want to say after all these years, I, during this Easter season, I, I really, in an, in an intentional way, want to acknowledge the presence of the risen Lord and, and yeah. invite him to be part of my life. Mm. I love that. I mean, just as you're speaking, I'm, I'm reminded of how tangibly the Lord shows up, right, in the resurrection stories. He often brings food. <laughs> and he, I mean, he, he shows up in very tangible ways, whether it be, you know, the charcoal fire or the fish or just he shows up so that we know it was him. Why wouldn't he want to take care of you in the same way? Yeah. Maybe not in, in, in the same details, but with the same level of care, of, of experience of, of his of his presence and, and, and friendship with you. That's really what he offers to us as his mm-hmm. disciples. And it's not just a concept. It's a reality for us, even now, especially now. Yeah, beautiful. Archbishop, thank you for being with us. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, everybody. Happy Easter. Happy Easter.